Keeping it real with Jerry Lawrence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What up, rap? What up, rap? You good? All right, I'm about to. Okay, cool, cool. These generations, combination of generations, levitating through matrices, baby, heaven's waiting. I feel naked, consider the fact that hell is vacant. The temptation was just your imagination. Listen, we know the feeling like a nursery rhyme. Blood rushes to the head, make a burgundy mine. News anchor, I channel run, burgundy's mine. Cut the lights, turn your church to a shrine, now you blind, so. Fuck your cops if your daddy won, fuck your pops. I hate your personality, but girl, I love the box. Something's off, they popping the penicillin, I'm in your paper tennis, Sicilian crust. Warning civilians, they aiming, they hear they killing us. Still, I must continue venturing to outer space. You got my inside your mouth, tell me how it tastes. I'm, I'm not, I'm just, I'm just saying. Rest in peace, Mac Miller. That's Rhapsody featuring Mac Miller, Generation. Welcome to Keeping It Real with Jared Lawrence. I'm your host, Jared Lawrence. I'd like, uh, like to apologize for the delay. I know I like to get these episodes out uh, once a week on Sundays. Um, been a little busy the past couple weeks. I've had people staying with me and I'm not going to lie to you. I've been partying social distance type partying though. Like not with more than 10 people, but you know, I've been kicking it, I've been kicking it with the, with, with friends and family and whoever's inviting me out places. Cause you know, I'm bored at home. seems like they're starting to ease up on some of these uh, laws and stuff. So I've been going out, you know, at, at people's houses, you know, not, not at, bars and clubs or anything like that but i've been out so i'm a little behind on uh recording like i said i like to do these on sundays obviously i missed yesterday so we're dropping today this is may 4th monday may 4th and all of you guys who are making those corny may the 4th be with you jokes stop yourself all right stop it now you guys know first of all i don't i don't care about star wars I don't care about Star Trek. I don't care about Dancing with the Stars. I don't care about any of that. So I don't even know the difference between Star Wars and Star Trek. So I don't get the joke, but I've seen it a hundred times on my uh, social media platforms today. So you guys, you know, I don't want to call them nerds because I'm a nerd. I consider myself a nerd. So maybe it's just something where if you're part of that community, it's, it's a cool thing to say. You understand it. But like I said, it doesn't really do anything for me. But I'm going to let y'all have your fun. I'm going to let y'all get that off. This is Keeping It Real with Jared Lawrence. It's been, it's been a while. Uh, I got some new sound drops. Well, one. As you know, we got the bomb, of course. But I have a new one. I have a new sound drop that I am super proud of. I just edited this one today. So you might hear it a few times on this episode. Fuck Trump. That's for my woldies. Uh-huh. That's some future for you. Future and Drake, big mood. I uh, took that out and put it in here. I might have to raise the volume on it again. 
a little bit more. I'm going to have to listen to it afterwards, see how it sounded. But I'm very proud of that sound drop that I edited and added in here. As I've said, I've been gone for a while. I want to recap kind of the last two weeks for you before I get started. I'm going to try to get y'all a complete game today. That's what I call it. I call it a complete game when I go to distance. Uh, anything over an hour. Oh, I'm solo today, too. I guess I didn't mention that. I am by myself. I uh, didn't really want to call anybody. I probably could have, but I wanted to give you guys a solo episode. Um, I had Mike and Clarissa staying with me uh, for the past couple weeks, and then they left, and I had somebody else come and stay for a couple days. So, But when Mike was here, he was saying that he likes when I do the solo episode. He told me I need to get back to doing the solo episode. So I said, you know what? I'm going to give the people what they want. I don't know if you guys really prefer me solo or with guests. I try to mix it up. You know, I'm going to give you guys some some with guests, some solo. But I feel like I hadn't done a solo episode since the first one. So I want to come back, give y'all one of those at least an hour. Because you know me, I'm, I'm going to give you your money's worth. You missed, I've missed two weeks for a week. So I want to make up for that. I have a lot of stuff to talk about. But I want to recap what happened in the last couple weeks. So Mike and Clarissa were here. Uh, I enjoyed my time with them. I enjoyed having company over. Uh, they were they've been been traveling a little bit, so you know they stayed with me for a week or two. Now they're back over there on the Tampa side of Florida, and we had a good time, man. We we explored a little bit. Um, it's different. It's different having people stay with you. I, I know some people probably have roommates and stuff, but if you know me, I live alone. So I'm not really used to having a uh, company 24-7. So it's always an adjustment when you have people staying with you. But I enjoyed it. Um, I do like being by myself again now. No offense to them. I enjoyed your time. We had a great time. But it's just something about being home and being able to just walk around and do things. And anybody who knows me, I'm a very particular person. And Mike and Clarissa can attest to this. Like, they probably think I have a million rules at my house. And I, I don't. I just do things a certain way. And I don't know if, if you guys do it like that at your own houses. But uh, I'm, I'm very particular, man. Like, you know, of course, take your shoes off when you come in. Had to instill that in them early. Uh, I know that I didn't grow up in a household where you had to take your shoes off. And I know for the most part, we didn't, most people didn't have to do that. I know it's big in the Asian community, Asian families where you have to take your shoes off. So I'm trying to start a new thing here where I, where I don't walk around my house with my shoes on. And it's not like out of like respect or anything about or like that. It's just simply for the fact that I don't like having to mop my floor and vacuum every single day. Like I'm the type of person who I feel like when I clean, I can make it last for a while. So when my when I when I vacuum and mop my floors, I feel like it can stretch. Like I don't have to do it the very next day, the next week, because I'm gonna monitor every little thing that touches that floor. Like I'm gonna pick up any little pieces of food, and I'm just very particular, man. I'm very maybe OCD. I don't know what you call it. So when Mike and Clarissa came over, I had to explain to them, hey, no shoes in the house, no shoes in the house. So that was one of the the first things we did. Um, other than that, I don't, I don't know if I had too many rules. I think I let them kind of move around how they wanted to, didn't want to bother them too much. I think when people stay at my house, I want them to feel like they're, I don't want them to feel like they're, uh, invading. So I kind of leave people alone, let them do their thing. And then, you know, I have my own routine. I like to sit on the couch 
and watch TV. I watch a lot of Couples Court. I watch a lot of Wendy Williams. I watch all types of shows, so I don't know if they thought I was weird. But, um, you know, that's just how I do things when you're over here. I'm, I'm going to say this because I think a lot of people get the misconception about me. Uh, when you hang out with me in, in public or at social events, I'm like the life of the party. I'm, I'm fun to be around. I'm, I'm really a cool dude. Like, you'll enjoy being around me. You enjoy my presence. And I think, uh, you know, I think people expect that all the time now because that's how I always am. So I'm always telling jokes. I'm always laughing. I'm making people laugh. And I think when people come to my house, they might expect the same thing. And uh, you, you don't get the same thing when you come here, man. When you come here, I'm kind of in my element. I'm very laid back. I'm at home, so it's, it's very relaxed. And when you come here, I might come off as boring. I probably do. I, I probably come off as boring. And that's no fault of my own. That's just how I am when I'm home. You know, like when I get on this mic, I feel like I could turn it on. I turn it off and on. Like I've been sitting at home relaxing all day, doing nothing, haven't really talked to anybody. But when I get on this microphone, I can just talk to myself. Like I'm having a conversation with myself. I can tell some jokes. I can try to be entertaining. And I think that's just, that's just something, that, a switch I have in me. I don't know if it's like a Michael Jordan type of thing. You know how Jordan turned it off and on when he, when he was playing basketball. I feel like I'm kind of this, kind of similar to that. And while we're on the, the subject of Jordan, I want to talk about the last dance a little bit. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. I didn't even recap the week. So, yeah, they stayed um, this past weekend. It was pretty cool. I hung out with a, a friend um, and drank some beers in front of Aldi. That was fun. We uh. That was like our first time meeting too. Uh, somebody I had met on one of the dating sites, so that was that was a pretty cool time. She's cool, and I had another friend that was staying with me at my house, so I was entertaining guest or a guest. Uh, dropped her off at the airport yesterday, then I went all the way to Oakland, not Oakland, California, Oakland, Florida, which is like west west or West Orange County, past Ocoee near Claremont, and I went to this donut place called DG Donuts. Follow them on Instagram if you have Instagram. They are really good. I got a cinnamon roll, and then I got another, like, some type of chocolate-filled chocolate icing donut. It was really good. If you're on my Instagram, I got pictures on um, of it on my Instagram, at Beyond the Glory. So check my Instagram out if you want to see pictures of that. Follow them, uh, DG Donuts. Check them out. Really good spot, man. Really good spot. I also got a floor mat made for me which is also on my Instagram. Shout out to Crystal uh, Vasquez, who made that for me. Yeah, she made me a floor mat. I want to make sure I get the, the, the wording correct. It was a Roddy, Witt, Roddy Rich quote. Roddy Rich is a rapper. For those of you who don't know, he has that song called The Box. Um, he's really popular right now, especially with the kids. I was surprised how much the kids love Roddy Rich, but they are... They're big fans of him. I don't know if it's a TikTok thing or what, but the kids, all these kids, like my friends' kids, they all love Roddy Rich. So Crystal made me uh, a floor mat that said B with the B word. I'm not going to say it because, you know, I respect my queens. Respect them. Um, there we go. Just want y'all to know. So he made us, uh, she made a mat that said B, don't wear no shoes in my house. And it has like the quotation marks and it says Roddy Rich. Super dope. Uh, like I said, go to my Instagram, Beyond the Glory. It's on there. If you want to follow her, she is at Creative Creations with K's in them, not C's. 
I don't know what set she's claiming, but, you know, creative with a K, creations with a K, the number four, all occasions. That's creative creations for all occasions. So make sure you check her out on Instagram. She has a lot of cool stuff on there, man. I just wanted to shout her out real quick. So that was pretty much my weekend, and I ended up at my cousin's and uh, celebrated Cinco de Mayo a little early yesterday. So we had uh, some beers. They did uh, the Mexican food, like tacos and um, what was it? Case not case. Yeah, I think it was a quesadilla. I'm sorry, I'm I'm really bad with some of these names. I think it was quesadilla that we had with tacos, and we had like the chips, the queso, the guac. Uh, we did it pretty big, man. You know, we had the kids, they had the kids running around. None of them were my kids, but you know, I was over there disciplining, yelling, doing what I needed to do. When these kids get out of control, letting them know, hey, this ain't gonna fly over here. I'm I'm here right now. It's J Law in the building. So other than that, you know, I came home around midnight, went over there with the intentions of watching the last dance, because it was two new episodes last night. So I went to my mom's house after I got my donuts. And I watched the previous two, which was episodes three and four. And I said, all right, I'm going to go to my cousin's house and I'm going to watch the newer episodes of The Last Dance. And guess what? I didn't even get to watch them because after uh, the party had kind of died down, we were on the, the patio chilling. And then we, we just got into this deep conversation, which I'm not going to talk about here. But it was a really good conversation. And we just kind of stayed out there, and next thing you know, it's like 11 o'clock, and I'm like, all right, last dance is over. I guess I'm just going to go home. I missed it. But I do want to talk about the previous two episodes that I watched of The Last Dance because I thought they were pretty interesting, man. Uh, episode three focused a lot on Dennis Rodman, and I guess him with the Pistons at first, the bad boys, and then when he uh, went to the Bulls and how they took, you know, it took him a little bit to accept him. But once they realized he could help the team, you know, Mike and Scotty were like, yo, we're rolling. They welcomed him in. But as you know, with Dennis Rodman, he has a lot of quirks. So uh, it took them some time to get used to the way he does things. And along the way, I think the highlight of that episode was, you know, Dennis, he was he was a little stressed out when Scotty was hurt because he was helping carry the load with Mike. And then when Scotty came back, he he felt like they kind of didn't really need him as much. He didn't feel like he was needed. So he needed to get his mind right. And he, he goes to Phil Jackson. And he's like, hey, I need to, I need a little vacation. Uh, Phil said, I can only give you 48 hours. He's like, I'll take whatever you can give me. So he's like, I, I need to go to Vegas for 48 hours to clear my mind, which just think about that in today's day and age. In any of these sports, if a, if a player said, I need to go to Vegas for 48 hours to clear my mind. Do you think any coach is letting that happen? Hell no. Hell no. Like, I remember when LeBron went to Miami that one time. He took, like, the week off in Cleveland, but he was there to get treatment. Who knows? You know, maybe he did party or whatever while he was there, but he didn't make it known. He's just like, I'm going to get treatment in, in Miami for, I forgot what the injury was. But he went down there for, like, a week, and they made that a big deal. Imagine if you find out somebody went to Vegas for 48 hours. That was approved by the coach. That would be the biggest firestorm probably in 20, well, not in 2020 because we've had a lot of bad stuff this year. But it would just be such a big headline. So Dennis Rodman goes to Vegas. He's there with Carmen Electra. He's just gambling, smoking cigars, um, 
partying, drinking, doing it all. Who else? Who who knows what else went on over there? And then, of course, and then Mike said it in the beginning, too. Mike's like, you let him go for 48 hours. He's not coming back in 48 hours. So, of course, Rodman doesn't come back in 48 hours. Michael Jordan has to go rescue him, or I don't even know if you got to be rescued when you're with Carmen Electra, but Michael Jordan has to go to his house, which I guess the documentary makes it seem like he rescued him from Vegas, but no, Mike went to Dennis Rodman's house in Chicago. Carmen Electra's there. She has to, like, hide. He gets him, like, all right, we're coming to practice. He shows up at practice in, like, his pajamas still. It was pretty funny. But, man, it just shows, like, the dynamic that Dennis Rodman had, man, all the different personalities or whatever, this the uniqueness to him. Uh, I saw some people say that episodes three and four were pretty boring. I saw a lot of that on uh, like Facebook and Twitter, and I disagree. I felt like those episodes to me were like the nerdy stuff, like a lot of detail. We knew the stories about Rodman and the Bulls, and we knew all these stories about getting over the Pistons, which uh, episode four focused on that too. We knew the stories, but we just didn't know a lot of these inner details, man, like the trip to Vegas. And another funny thing about that is as soon as Rodman leaves the arena that night, he hops on a motorcycle (laughs) to go to the airport. Now, mind you, most NBA players have it in their contract where they're not even allowed to ride motorcycles while they're playing in the NBA. This man got on a motorcycle and just rode out of the arena parking lot. So that just lets you know what type of stuff Rodman was on and how much he was getting away with, man. But, yeah, I just love the nerdiness, the details of these episodes, uh, the trip to Vegas, uh, detailing how it took them so long to get past the Pistons and how they were getting beat up all the time. And it wasn't until, until they, they fired Doug Collins, who was doing good, took him to the conference finals. Michael Jordan had some of his best seasons under Doug Collins. He was defensive player of the year. Uh, he was averaging 37 points a game, man. He went to the Eastern Conference Finals. I can't remember if he got an MVP. I think he might have had an MVP at that time, too. But they fired Doug Collins because, yes, they secretly they were planning to uh, get Phil Jackson as the, to make him the coach, which Phil had come from some, you know, small coaching circles. And then Tex Winner creates this triangle offense, and they don't like the triangle. Well, Doug Collins is not really listening so they got, they're like, yo, we got to get Doug up out of here. So it's like this whole plan, man. And they get Doug out and then Phil gets hired and Phil brings Tex with him. And then the triangle's back on and popping. And it was just, it was a great, great two episodes for me, man. I love how they broke down every little detail of that, of that whole time, man. So make sure you check it out. You guys are probably ahead of me anyway. Um, You probably watched episodes five and six. I'm going to get to that probably... Maybe this week if I go to my mom's house because she has on demand. So that's usually where I go. I watch my TV over there. So maybe I'll go over there and watch it. And then I can get caught up by next Sunday. And uh, maybe I can come over here and talk to y'all about uh, the current stuff going on. I do want to make one more point about Rodman, man. Because Bill Simmons, I don't know if this is trolling or not. He sounded serious when he said it. But Bill Simmons and Ryan Rosillo. They were talking, and basically they said Dennis Rodman is not an interesting person, man. So Ryan Rosillo starts it off, and it's on uh, the podcast, the Bill Simmons podcast, and uh, Ryan Rosillo said Dennis Rodman is incredibly boring. Most people are not going to agree with me, and I understand that. I respect everything he did as a rebounder and as a defensive player and how he could adjust to everybody. 
But everybody does this thing with Rodman where it's like, whoa, I can't wait for the Rodman episode. It's been the same stuff for decades. A lot of it is a study on us and how boring we are, where it's like this guy dyed his hair and he has tattoos. That's insane. Let's get him on Barbara Walters and ask him questions. And he does the same thing in every interview of people who don't understand me. Okay, well, go. If people want to talk all that shit and, uh, about about Dennis Rodman, feel, feel free to explain something. Rodman has been consistently underwhelming topic for such a long time. And I'm sure people listening to this are thinking that's crazy. But there's nothing new about it. And then Bill Simmons chimes in. He says, episode three was my least favorite episode of the series. I love the series. I just know all the Rodman stuff, and I don't think there's a lot or there's a lot there. I'm bored by the Rodman stuff as well. I thought the same thing about the documentary about him. It was the same length as the Bad Boy Pistons documentary we made for 30 for 30. It was like Rodman's story is just as long as the Bad Boy story. A lot of that stuff obscured what a unique and awesome basketball player he was. And then uh, Simmons tweets later. And I think this is what got everybody up in arms. He says, crucial question that started today's pod. Why have we pretended for the past 25 years that Dennis Rodman was actually interesting? <laughs> and they, they destroyed him, as you can imagine. They destroyed Bill Simmons on Twitter for that one. Um, I want to speak on it a little bit because, of course, I disagree. And I love Rosillo. Like, Ryan Rosillo's podcast is probably one of my favorite podcasts to listen to. But I disagree wholeheartedly with him and Bill Simmons. First of all, I grew up in the 90s. You know, I was born in 83. So I grew up in the 90s. I saw it, man. I saw not just the basketball stuff with Rodman. Bro, we saw this man. Like, he started with Madonna. He dated Madonna. He dated Carmen Electra. Uh, I believe he dated Jenny McCarthy, too. If I'm wrong, y'all can correct me. But he was just dating mad women, the partying, um, the wedding dress. How many of y'all remember the picture when he was in the wedding dress? Like, he had the fingernails painted. Uh, of course, he was dyeing his hair. That was like, you know, that was pretty light compared to the stuff Dennis Rodman was doing. The man wrestled in WCW in the NWO. He wrestled against freaking Lex Luger, man. He was with Hulk Hogan's crew in NWO. He wrestled against Carl Malone, too. Like, that's just t the tip of the iceberg, man. So for Bill Simmons to say this man isn't interesting. And then, oh, how could I forget? He's like best friends with Kim Jong-un. Who we don't even know if he's alive right now. We don't even know what the current status of Kim Jong-un is. So Rodman did all of this stuff, and you're saying he's uninteresting? Bro, let me tell you something about Dennis Rodman. Let me just let me try to make it um understandable for you. So you take the rapper Young Thug right now. You guys all know who Young Thug is. Uh he makes some great music. Um, he does a lot of stuff where some people might think, you know, they're like, is he gay? Is he not? He's, he says he's doing it as trolling, but he'll wear, like, the dresses. Um, he paints his fingernails. To me, Young Thug's whole swag is Dennis Rodman. It's influenced by Dennis Rodman. I feel like if you put Dennis Rodman in this era, that none of that stuff looks, like, as wild as it was back then because we, that stuff's normal now. Like, the kind of metro, metrosexual and feminism and – being in touch with your feminine side, like it's all acceptable now, but this, Dennis Rodman was doing this stuff in the 90s. I think that's what people got to understand, bro. The, the stuff that he, the, the wild stuff that he was doing was in the 90s where it was so judgmental, where every little thing was under a microscope. And he was, he did not give a fuck, bro.
bro. Like he was doing his thing. He was dressing how he wanted to dress. He, I guess he never, he never said he was gay. Like he, he still was messing with women, but he would give off that aura. Like, I don't care what you think about sexuality. I'm just doing what, what makes me happy. I'm doing what I like. Like he didn't care. And I feel like there's a lot of kids today, man, that could probably learn from Dennis Rodman about not really worrying about society. And of course he probably, he had a rough childhood, but there's a lot of kids that can learn, man, about just being yourself and not not worrying about what society thinks of you and just just going out there, man, and doing you, man. Dress how you want to dress. Wear what you want to wear. And don't worry about a lot of the, you know, the talk that people are going to say. So for, for Bill Simmons to say he wasn't interesting, man, I just, I don't understand that. I, I think he's trolling, honestly. I, I think there's no way in his... No way in the world Bill Simmons actually believes that Dennis Rodman wasn't interesting, but with this whole quarantine thing, I believe, you know, you got to get you got to get the talk going, you got to rile up some people. So I think that's all he did. And, you know, it's a little it's a little corny, but hey, it got us talking, right? It's a topic on today's show. Um I told y'all how Mike and Clarissa was here, they stayed with me, and you know, we we had a couple podcasts with Mike on the last two episodes. Uh I don't know. I hope you guys enjoyed it. I haven't really heard a lot of feedback. I got a few people hitting me. They said they loved the the Damien and Mike back and forth. I guess that was really good content. So it seemed like people liked it. I know I heard from some people, too, who said they did not like a lot of the stuff Mike was saying. Um, they They didn't like how he was just disregarding science and all of this and medical history. So... I heard a little bit of both. Um, I, you know, I thought the episodes were pretty interesting. I thought the Damien one when I listened back was very entertaining. I didn't really get much words in in the first hour of that one, but bro, it was it was pretty fun to just sit there and listen to them go at it. Um, I was like a spectator, man, and I enjoyed it. So yeah, Mike and Clarissa stayed here, and uh, I believe it was like the first night they were here. We went walking around my neighborhood. So like where I live. It's kind of a interesting neighborhood because like when you first come in, it's like a lot of older houses because the neighborhood was built in the, in the early 90s. But then when you get kind of in the middle, it starts getting more of like newer, bigger houses. So you kind of got a mix of like middle class and like upper upper middle. I don't know if they're upper class, upper middle. They're higher than middle though. So you got that mix in here. Then there's like a gated neighborhood that's like, uh, attached to this too so there's a whole lot going on here so we go walking the first night and i'm like uh let's go around the, let's go in the gated neighborhood because i want to show them you know I'm, I'm trying to show off i'm like let me show them how nice this neighborhood can really look you know because you know the front is is decent it's nice but the gated one is like woo, a whole nother level so we go walking in the gated neighborhood and it's like seven eight o'clock probably eight o'clock at night maybe even later maybe 8 30 i know it's like pitch black outside it's super dark so we're walking and i'm already like nervous because i'm in a gated neighborhood like i said it's a pretty nice neighborhood in the gated one so i'm i'm nervous because i'm black first of all it's dark i'm in a neighborhood that i don't really live in but it's kind of attached to my neighborhood so i'm walking and i'm with them so I'm trying to explain to Mike. I'm like, yo, I'm a little nervous in here because I don't want to scare none of these people. 
and I feel like if you're black, you understand what I'm talking about. If you're not, you're probably like, what are you, what, what's the big deal? You're just walking. Just walk, you know? What are you going to say to you? But as a black person, man, and I, I maybe this is the time where I could kind of give this, use this as a teaching moment. Like, during the day, I feel like it's it's okay for us to walk around out in these neighborhoods, but I do feel like um, at night, it's a little bit less safe. I feel like we're more of a, we're seeing more as a threat when it's like, you know, in the dark. You see a black man walking on in your sidewalk at night. I feel like some people might, you know, get a little concerned. Some people might not bother them, but I definitely know, you know, just growing up and knowing how we're supposed to move around, it, it can be a cause for concern for some people. So I'm always cautious of that when I'm in these neighborhoods. And I normally, when I even go walking in my neighborhood, I don't really like to walk at night. I, I like to walk before the sun goes down just because I don't want to, I know I live here and I shouldn't have nothing to worry about, but you just never know, man. You, you, you know, I guess the best examples, you know, Trayvon Martin was walking in a neighborhood and get stopped by the supposed neighborhood, uh, security or whatever George Zimmerman was fake ass badge. So he stops them and then you know how that ends. So that stuff is so real. And I, I don't think non-black people really understand our, our fears at night when we're walking in these neighborhoods. Cause it's like somebody who doesn't recognize us, you know, you got to think there's so many houses in the neighborhood. Not every single person is going to recognize you. So the, all it takes is one person to be scared and maybe escalate a situation and it could turn deadly. Um, the police could be called. You could be arrested. You could be shot. So, you know, it's always got to be wary of that type of stuff. And that's why I like to walk in the daytime. At least you can see me good and give you a nice little wave and a smile. I, I know the smile is always a, a, a calming, calming thing for people. It, it makes everybody feel okay. Uh, we got a thing we call the brother nod where when, you know, two black people, two normally two black men, when they're walking past each other, they uh, nod their heads. You can go either up with your head or down with your head, but you do a nod. And that's kind of like you're both saying to each other, what's up? You know, everything's good. Ain't no problems. Um, I've had a debate, too, with I think it was with Kenya. Like, do you do you nod up or do you nod down? I feel like when it's younger people, instinctually, I nod up. But when it's like an older black man. Or sometimes even a white guy. If it's a white guy, definitely do the nod down. Just to let them know, you know, everything's good over here. Ain't no problems. We're not trying to rob you. Don't shoot me. You know, let's just all, let's just all survive out here in this neighborhood. But yeah, we'll do that. We'll do some type of acknowledgement. But at night, you know, it's a little, they might not be able to see us as good. We're a little darker. So sometimes, you know, we don't have that, that, that shield, that uh, calming sense to give them. I guess you could still say hi or something, but I feel like at night people are less likely to respond. Um, maybe I'm wrong. I doubt it. If you're black, you're probably saying, yeah, you're right. So I just think everybody should be aware of that. Maybe when you're walking around in your neighborhoods, just know that if you see a black person in there, man, they they just trying to walk, man. They're not trying to cause no problems. Charlemagne the God actually says something really good on Brilliant Idiots. Years ago, I wish I would have wrote it down because I wanted to quote it exactly. But basically the quote was, he was like, white people, if you see me in your neighborhood, 
I, I don't want no problems. He was like, um, I promise I don't want no problems. The last thing I want is any problems. Matter of fact, the reason I'm in this neighborhood is because I don't want any problems, which um, if you get it, he's basically saying, look, I'm, I'm, I don't want y'all to bother me while I'm in here. And um, the reason I'm in here is because I feel like it's a safe neighborhood for me to be in. And that's what he said. Like, I, the reason I'm in here is I don't want any problems. So, yeah, man, that's just something to think about. I was trying to explain it to Mike and Clarissa. I don't know if they got it or not. But I know when you're black, we, we see the world a little differently just because of experiences we've had. And, yeah, it sucks that we have to walk around thinking like this. But, man, I think history has shown us that you need to be on point. Like, you always kind of have to know what's going on, be aware of your surroundings because, you know, anything can pop off. So everybody just stay safe out there, man. That's all I can say about that. Um, I guess while we're on the topic of of – Black and white. I have a question I want to ask you guys. So I was on Facebook last week and I had posted something. I had posted a link to an article uh, about these uh, white white men. I believe they were like NRA or militant. I don't know. They have all the guns. You know, the big pe- the big gun people that show up to like events and rallies with the big guns on their shoulders. So it was, it was a picture of them. And I think they went to like the state capitol in uh washington dc man with the guns and they're just on the steps of the of the capitol chilling so you know of course somebody had made a a post about you know if they weren't if they were black we know this would not have happened which i believe 100 percent. if they were black they probably would have got shot walking up to the state capitol with some guns you notice when you see that stuff going on it's never really black people that are just walking out in public with the big old guns on their shoulders like like, they're about to go to Desert Storm, man. You know, the big old AK-47. I don't even know. You know, I'm not a gun guy, so I'm probably not even saying the right gun. But the Yappas, that's what we call them. Because, you know, they say chopper. That's like a hip-hop term for a gun. And then when it's, like, really crazy, you say the Yappa. So they got the Yappas, and they're just on their shoulders, and they're posted up. Like, what are y'all going to do? And, of course, nobody does anything. So, yeah, somebody made the, the you know, the distinction of, yo, if this was black, we know this wouldn't happen. So I wrote on Facebook, I made a post about it, and I was like, yeah, if they were black, you know, this would have never happened. Um, we already saw what happened with, with the Black Panthers and how the government took them out. And, you know, if you, have, if you know anything about the Black Panthers, they were started out as a, a, a group of, uh, against police brutality, and they would be in public with their guns all the time, just kind of letting you know, look, y'all ain't about to do nothing on our watch. And they were they did a lot of positive stuff, too. They made lunches for the kids that went to school. Um, they were heavily involved in the community, but they were just trying to stop a lot of police brutality going on. And uh, Huey Newton, which was one of their top uh, members, I think he was he might have been the founder. Huey Newton was killed by the police. Uh, if, depending on what you believe, they said, you know, he was coming for them. And then Frank, uh, not Frank Matthews. I am going to talk about Frank Matthews. Later on, uh, oh, I forgot the dude's name. I, I was just talking about it, too. It wasn't Huey Newton. It was uh, Fred Hampton. I'm sorry. Fred Hampton was killed in his house. Um, they ran up in there and shot him up. So I made a post about that. And then somebody came on there and uh, wanted to kind of debate me a little bit about it. And it, it quickly shifted from the uh, Black Panthers to Martin Luther King. Because I think I said something about. Martin Luther King, too. I, you know, oh, yeah, that's what it was. I say 
And I've said this a few times on the show about how I believe the government killed Martin Luther King, uh, Malcolm X, and Fred Hampton. I believe that was all like government conspiracies and involved. So we had a nice conversation, a nice back and forth on there about whether Martin Luther King had an impact. That's, that's what uh, the, the person who came on there asked me, like, what impact did Martin Luther King have? And I was like, are you kidding me? Bro, we have years and years of video, of speeches, of history. Like, there's all types of stuff you can research on Martin Luther King if you want to know the impact he had. So I, I kind of explained it. some of it, you know, the basics. All right, we can drink at water fountains. We can go in these restaurants without being beaten. We can cross over the Edmund Pettus Bridge without being hosed. You know, we don't have dogs sicked on us. Like, there's a lot of stuff we can do nowadays in public just because of the, the protest that Martin Luther King did with the civil rights and all that. But, um, you know, we, we went a little further in the debate and I, I was talking about other things he did. It's not just that, you know, what, what people fail to realize when Martin Luther King died, um, he wasn't even protesting the civil rights movement anymore. He kind of, he had kind of finished that. He had moved on to the poor people's campaign and he was trying to get money, you know, put into these communities of poorer people, which was mostly black, Latino, some white people. He asked the government for $30 billion to get put into these communities for jobs and housing and all that. And he was planning a march in Washington on that. And I feel like they 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 seen him as a threat. And I think they had him killed because of that. Um, as you know, he was killed in Memphis in 1968. The night before that, he had given the, the famous... I've been to the mountaintop speech and he was in Memphis cause he was uh, speaking on behalf of the sanitation workers there who were on strike. So I feel like he was trying to get the, the workers to realize their worth. And you know, if you guys unionize and you, you know, there's strength in numbers, you can get some stuff done. And after, as we've seen, man, you know, they took him out, they took him out the next day, which I still have issues with. I know they say James Earl Ray is the one who, who shot him. I don't believe it. I know James Earl Ray, before he died, he said he wasn't the guy who really that really pulled the trigger. He said he was put up to it by the government. I believe that. If you, if you look at some of the stuff, you know, Pro, which was the counterintelligence program, uh, man, they, they had tabs on King for a long time, man. They sent him a letter telling him he needed to commit suicide, because they found all the dirt on him, which, yes, it's it's public knowledge that he was cheating on his wife and all that. And they had all that because they were tapping his phone for, for a long time. So they told him, man, you need to just go ahead and kill yourself because we're going to put all this out. And he said, no, I'm not doing that. So, you know, they tried to tarnish his, his name and his image and all that. And I believe once they couldn't really get him to to kill himself or take himself out, I believe after that, man, that's that's when they took him out, man. And if you look at it, if you really look at it, man, first of all, I think when I was watching the documentary on him, they said he wasn't even supposed to be in the room that he was in. They had moved the room to the to the top floor. I think he was on the bottom and they ended up moving the room to the top. And then for them to know, like when he's coming out and get that such a clear shot at him. Bro, there's no way you can tell me that was some regular ass person who did that, bro. One shot took him out. There's no way. I'm not buying it. So I was I was going back and forth with the with my friend on Facebook. 
And he was, you know, the, the main complaints about Martin Luther King, what people will say is that uh, he wasn't militant and all this and we needed to be militant. And he was like soft and like all this peace stuff and that didn't get us anywhere. And I, I always disagree with that because, yes, I know Malcolm was more militant and more of, of, about violence. But if you watch the Malcolm X docuseries on um, Netflix, which is called Who Killed Malcolm X? And I recommend everybody to watch that because that is an amazing piece of work right there. I forgot the guy's name who, who narrates the whole thing. But he, he basically shows you Malcolm's whole life from, you know, once he joined the nation up until his death. And then they go, you know, try to figure out who killed him, which, of course, I'm going to say the government was involved in that, too. Uh, probably for the simple fact that his head bodyguard that night when he was killed in the Audubon Ballroom was a government informant who was there for the government, but he was also there as his head bodyguard. So you do the math on that. You figure that one out. But the documentary shows me one thing. Yes, Malcolm was militant, but, man, that his militancy is what got him kicked out of the nation, bro. Like, when he was telling everybody that to come at the police and fight back and do all that. Uh, um, the, the Honorable Elijah Muhammad was not feeling that because it started costing the nation of uh, Islam money. And they were losing a lot of money uh, with, the, with Malcolm because of his mouth and all that. So they kicked him out. So, yeah, he was militant, but he didn't really put it into action. That's, I guess that's what I'm trying to say. It wasn't really, we didn't see it. Because they, they kind of X'd it. And even when he was with them, they didn't really let him get too wild. He would speak, but we didn't really see the action. And I think once he got kicked out and saw how they used him, um, I think once, they saw, once he saw how they used him and just to, you know, elevate them, he was kind of, like, disgusted by it. And I think he kind of, towards the end of his life, he was regretful. And he did kind of apologize to King later on and agree that, you know, being being like that didn't really help. Like that, they needed to move smarter. You know, instead of trying to be all violent. So I encourage you all to watch that. But like I wanted to say about the Martin Luther King one, he wasn't militant, but he was also smart about it. Man, I'm gonna read you a quote where he was telling us how we should move, and this this still reigns till this still reigns true today. He said to dislocate the functioning of a city without destroying it can be more effective than a riot because it can no because it can be longer lasting, costly to society, but not wantonly wantonly, I don't even know that word, destructive. Moreover, it is more difficult for government to quell it by a superior force. Mass civil disobedience can cause rage or can use rage as a constructive and creative force. It is purposely it was purposeless to tell Negroes they should not be enraged when they should be. Indeed, they will be mentally healthier if they do not suppress rage but vent it constructively and use its energy peacefully but forcefully to cripple the operations of an oppressive society. Civil disobedience can utilize the militancy wasted in, the, in riots to seize clothes or groceries many did not even want. So basically what Martin Luther King was saying is let's hit them where it hurts, man. Let's hit them in the pockets. You know, when they, when they boycotted the buses in, in Selma and all that, um, what was it, Montgomery? I'm sorry. <laughs> Forgive me. I think it was, I think it was Montgomery. When they boycotted the buses and uh, they lost money, stuff started to change. You know, they started letting you sit wherever you wanted on the bus. It wasn't just in, in the back of the bus or was it the front? I, 
It was the back. They were making us sit in the back. Yeah, it was the back of the bus. So basically, if we use our money, uh, or not our money, if we stop using our money at some of these places, stuff will change. And we're seeing that now with what's going on with with all these uh, businesses closed with the coronavirus. Bro, we saw these businesses couldn't even last a week, a week with without the money coming in. So imagine if, if we as as black people, man, told some of these corporations or some of these businesses, we're not we're not spending our money with you guys anymore. Bro, they'd be done in, in less than a month. It wouldn't even last. So I think Martin was on the right the right track and we just have to continue it. But everybody wants to do the rioting and the violence and yeah, you can burn down business and break windows, but that's not going to get us anywhere. That's not going to, that might get a little bit of change, but the, the most change we're going to get is when we hit those pockets, man. Like we're seeing now companies are being bailed out, bro. Cause they, cause they couldn't even handle what was going on, man. So that's, that's something I learned from all of that. And hopefully once this is all over, like I've been saying, we can take what we've learned and we can use it to better ourselves moving forward. Uh, we can demand some stuff, especially we got a presidential election coming up. So with this election coming up, we definitely need to let Joe Biden know that, look, we're not going to just we're not going to just fall back and let you control everything like our voices need to be heard. We got to put some people in your little cabinet that are going to make some stuff happen, because honestly, I don't trust him. I don't I don't think he's the best candidate. Um, I didn't think Bernie was the best candidate either. But I thought Bernie was definitely a better talker. I, uh, some of his stuff was probably a little too radical for the Democratic Party, uh, for a lot of moderates. So I think that's what hurt him. But I, I still probably would have preferred Bernie over Biden. I think Biden's going to get destroyed when it comes time for him to debate. You see they're already trying to take him down now with, uh, with the, ac- the sexual assault accusations. Um, he's been accused of, of touching this uh, woman named Tara Reed inappropriate back in, I believe 93 or 94. And it's, it's, that one's weird too, man. Uh, I was going to save that topic, but I might as well just get to it now. So I, uh, all right, man, some of y'all, I'm, I know everybody's not going to agree with me on this one. So this is a touchy subject for a lot of people, but we got to discuss it. All right, so this happened over 20 years ago. I don't even know the math, like 25 years ago. And she said, 26 years ago, she said that he touched her. I guess he went to give a hug, and then he, like, kind of put his finger, fingers on her private parts, you know, and did, a, did that. Um, there's a lot of inconsistencies, though, man. Like, when she, was, when she was talking, I guess she did an interview last year where she didn't mention the assault, and she just said she was touched inappropriate. So... Now she said it, she changed it and said it's an assault, which maybe, you know, she just used the wrong words. But my thing is, when you're talking about something from so long ago, you got to be on point with everything you say. It has to be consistent. And you got to realize it's going to be hard to prosecute this without any evidence. And I think I have a big problem with that, with all the um, allegations that are coming up with uh, coming out against people right now. With the the whole, the whole Me Too movement, I I respect it, but I also feel like we gotta give justice its proper due, man. I feel like we gotta hear it out. It has to be heard out in the court of law. And even though 
a lot of times the court is not always like even you're not happy with the verdict. You know, OJ got off, so we still believe he's guilty. So sometimes it doesn't even matter what happens in the court of law. But I do think we got to have due process, man. At the very least, we got to have due process. We got to let everybody get their side out. Everybody talk about what they think happened or what they recollect, you know. And apparently Tara Reid says she told some people that this happened. And, and the people that they've contacted that she told supposedly said they don't remember it. So I feel like it's going to be an uphill battle for her in this one, man. It's very close to the campaign. Um, it's getting a lot of traction, but I don't think she has enough proof at this moment. Uh, I, I, we got to be re- weary of he said, she said. Even though what she said could be true, we have to be weary of just going with a word without any type of evidence or a witness. Now, if you have a witness, I feel like that can probably get you get you uh, through there. That can probably make your story a lot more credible. But with no witness and you just saying it and him denying it, it's like, who do we believe? Kind of similar to the to the Brett Kavanaugh one, man. I know a lot of people felt a way about that. And a lot of people felt like he was guilty and he might very well have been. But I watched I watched that that trial. I heard the woman speak. She sounded very convincing. But again, there was not any evidence there. So it's like, how do you convict him off of just uh, a testimony without a witness, without it, without evidence? I know you can say, oh, they told somebody afterwards. But, man, to come out 25 years later and try to get the guilty verdict on that is is an uphill battle, man. That's a tough one. And I'm not – I don't want to sound like I'm not hearing them, hearing their voices, because I am. But I just think if we're going to do it through a court of law, we got to do it the right way. We got to have some some evidence. We got to hear the facts, um, you know, for us to make a, a, a smart decision on it or – a judgment, a fair judgment. That's all I'm saying, you know. But Joe Biden, oh, man, you got some work to do. Because right now you're looking like jump off Joe. You know, he's looking like jump off Joe. He's already, I'm already worried that he might have, like, early Alzheimer's or dementia. Like, he just seems like he forgets a lot when he's talking. And, man, I'm I'm scared, bro. I'm a little scared for this election. I mean, you already know. How I feel about the other guy he's running against. Fuck Trump. That's for my woldies. But I do feel like Biden has to come. He has to come harder, man. Pause. He has to. I don't think he's really a strong enough candidate, like I said. He needs to surround himself with a better cabinet or at least a VP. I'm hearing rumors that he might be picking Elizabeth Warren. I don't think that's a smart idea. I, I think you have to have some diversity in there, man. I know she's a woman, but we got to have some color. We got to have some color. Right now, this is starting to feel like the John Kerry election to me from um, 2004. I don't know if you guys remember that one. John Kerry was going against uh, George Bush in his reelection. It really should have been a slam dunk on our on the Democratic side. Like we, I felt like it was there for the taking. Bush should have been beaten, should have been defeated. Kerry just wasn't the best candidate. He wasn't a strong enough candidate. It cost us the election. We can't make that same mistake this time, man. And then. Who was his who was his vice president, his running mate? I don't even think he had a good running mate. Ain't no way he had a good running mate, because I don't even remember who he was. So I think he picked a trash VP and that that cost him. So Biden can't make that same mistake. 
We're going to see, man. We got a, a boy, we got about five, five or six months before the election. So we'll be getting more into it as these months go on, man. Um, the states are starting to open back up. Uh, I know Florida, we're in our phase one, whatever that means. I think it's like 25% that you can have capacity in these businesses. I think outdoor seating is a little more lax. You can have more. But most of the restaurants are starting to open back up. It's not just takeout only now. You can sit in there, even though 25%, boy. <laughs> Seems like you got to wait in line. Like, you, these people waiting for these Jordans in Atlanta just to get a seat in these restaurants. So, get there early. I'm still not eating in a restaurant. I'll do my takeout. Um, like I said, I don't even like eating in restaurants, period. I usually get takeout. I like to eat at home. I like to watch TV, watch a little couple's court, uh, watch some stuff on Netflix, Real Housewives. I have so much stuff I can watch. Why do I want to sit at a restaurant? Um and talk and pay somebody to bring me drinks and water. And, you know, maybe it's because I don't want to tip. I don't know if I'm being cheap or not, but the restaurants are back open. I went to my Chinese spot last week though, and they weren't open. So I'm wondering if they're open this week, I'm going to have to hit them up this weekend. Um, sorry. Yes. The restaurants are back open, but Donald Trump was in the news last week because he said something that caused an uproar, which I guess, well, let me finish off this restaurant thing. Is there anything else to talk about? Nah, not really with the restaurants. They're going to move to phase two, I guess, in a month or so. So, y'all, if you want to go out there, support. If you don't, stay at home, keep cooking, do what you got to do. But Trump, last week, said some wild stuff, bro. He was talking about some disinfectants. I know y'all all heard it. I want to break it down. So, I've, I'm going to play you guys the raw video. The sound, I'm not, you know, we're going to play it. It's about two minutes long. I want to make sure we're all on the same page with this. I want y'all to hear what he said. We're going to discuss when I come back. Or maybe I'll just stay here and comment a little bit in between. So this was Donald Trump giving a press conference last week with uh, one of them Surgeon General people. Within the conditions we've tested to date, the virus in droplets of saliva survives best in indoors and dry conditions. The virus does not survive as well in droplets of saliva. And that's important because a lot of testing being done is messing not up like being me. done, number one, with the COVID-19 virus, and number two, in saliva or respiratory fluids. And thirdly, the virus dies the quickest in the presence of direct sunlight under these conditions. And when you, when you look at that chart, look at the aerosol as you breathe it. You put it in a room, 70 to 75 degrees, 20% humidity, low humidity. Uh, it lasts, half-life is about an hour. But you get outside and it cuts down to a minute and a half. Very significant difference uh, when, it, when it gets hit with UV rays. Mr. President, while there are many unknown links uh, in the COVID-19 transmission chain, we believe these trends can support practical decision-making to lower the risks associated with the virus. If I could have my next slide, and when that, while that comes up, you'll see a number of some practical applications. For example, increasing the temperature and humidity of potentially contaminated indoor spaces appears to reduce the stability of the virus. And extra care may be warranted for dry environments that do not have exposure to solar light. We're also testing disinfectants readily available. We've tested bleach. We've tested isopropyl alcohol on the virus, specifically in saliva or in respiratory fluids. And I can tell you that bleach will kill the virus in five minutes. Isopropyl alcohol will kill the virus in 30 seconds. And that's with no manipulation, no rubbing, just spraying it on and leaving it go. You rub it and it goes away even faster. We're also looking at other uh, disinfectants, specifically looking at the COVID-19 virus in saliva. 
So supposing we hit the body with a tremendous, uh, whether it's ultraviolet or just very powerful light, and I think you said that hasn't been checked, but you're going to test it. And then I said, supposing you brought the light inside the body, you can, which you can do either through the skin or uh, in some other way. And I think you said you're going to test that, too. Sounds interesting. We'll the right, folks right. And then I see the disinfectant where it knocks it out in a minute, one minute. And is there a way we can do something like that uh, by injection inside or, or almost a cleaning? Because you see it gets on the lungs and it does a tremendous number of lungs. So it'd be interesting to check that so that you're going to have to use medical doctors with. But it sounds, it sounds interesting to me. So we'll see. But the whole concept of the light, the way it kills it in one minute, that's uh, that's pretty powerful. Hey there, I'm Chris Hayes from MSN. All right. So as you as you heard, it wasn't really telling people to do it. He was kind of asking the doctor if they can do it, which is still just as stupid. But if we're going to be, you know, specific, he didn't say everybody go out and do it. He's asking the doctors. When you guys are testing this stuff, can you test if this stuff will work too? Which I'm sure the doctors looked at him like, motherfucker, are you crazy? But, you know, that's that's pretty much what it was, man. Um, I saw everybody making a big deal, a lot of jokes about it. It was funny. It definitely doesn't make him look smart. He looks dumb. But he didn't really tell you to go out and do it. So a little misleading with the headline. But like I said to somebody on Facebook, I'm like, it's still stupid no matter how you try to explain it. Like, I don't care how y'all try to make it sound. Oh, he didn't really say that. He definitely said the disinfectant. He just didn't tell you to do it. But he's mentioned it. Can you can you inject some alcohol and all that into you? Bro, you'll probably be dead if you do that. I'm not a medical expert, but you'll probably die. So he was asking his advisor, Dr. Guy. I don't even know who he is. That wasn't Fauci. That was somebody else. I'm sure Fauci was in the back like, this idiot. <laughs> he was asking him, can you do it? Or can you guys look into that? So there you have it. That's how it went down. I hope we're all on the same page now when it comes to that. I also want to bring this up one more thing about uh, opening up the economy. There's still a lot of businesses that are not open. So like the clubs aren't open. Um, I think barbershops still aren't open. Salons aren't open. The bars aren't open. So there's still a lot of people, man, out of work. Unemployment is still pretty high. I know a lot of people are starting to get denied. I think 38% of the people who had filed recently got denied or ruled ineligible. So I'm wondering, man, how how long can we expect people not to work? Like, I think we got to send another stimulus. I'm not just saying that for myself. I mean, I'll take it. But I think we got to send another stimulus, man, because I don't think it's it's smart or financially uh, smart for these people to just sit at home with no money coming in. We're going to see a lot of people hurting, man. So hopefully either we're going to open everything back up soon or we're going to send some more money, but you can't just expect people to sit at home with no income coming in. Um, I guess you can apply to other jobs, but what if you want to go back to your regular job? Like what if you're at Disney or something? I think Disney I think they got their people on unemployment, though. But there's probably some other ones where they still haven't gotten on unemployment. So that's a good question to ask yourselves when you're saying open up the, the economy back up. You know, how many people. And also when it comes to opening the economy back up, I saw somebody say, 
Um, they say, I guess, the average right now is one, one or two of your family members dying from this virus. I don't know if it's maybe that that number might be too high. Maybe it's one of your you, one or two of your family members getting the virus, and people are saying that's not that much. So they're like, okay, which one of your family members? Do you want to sacrifice for that? Which I think is a fair question for some of you guys who were just saying this is nothing. Go back. Um, are you willing to sacrifice your your mom, your dad, your kids? So, you know, that's a good question to ask because a lot of people have caught it. Uh, a lot of people have a lot of people have recovered, too. Though. But even catching it, man, do you want to deal with that for two weeks? The, the respiratory stuff and all that. It's a good question to ask. And maybe you guys can be a little bit more considerate. All right. Um, before I wrap up, I have a couple, I have like three more things I want to talk about. So I have been wanting to tell this, this Hawaii story. I want to get it on tape. I've told it to a friend in the past. I think it's a pretty good story. It's, it's one of those stories where you're probably not going to believe it, but I want to, I just want to make sure I get it on tape because like I said, this podcast is art. So one day, Somebody will discover all this and all these episodes and they're going to be like, man, look at this. Look at this beautiful work of art. So I got to tell my Hawaii story. And I'm before I even tell the story, let me just start off by saying this story is a hundred percent true. No lie here. No lie in my Hawaii story. All right. So back in 2014, I was uh, working for the mapping company here, here maps, shout out to them, download the app. If you need uh, some routes or you need to get around, like I said, they, they do a good job of their maps. So I was working for here maps and I was in New York working and they asked me if I want to go work in Hawaii for like two and a half weeks. And as they asked me that I'm looking out my hotel window and I see snow. And at first I was like, nah, I ain't going to Hawaii, bro. That flight's going to be way too long. Anybody who knows me, knows I am like scared of heights. So I was like, I've not tried to be on a plane for, I don't even know how many hours that is, which I would later find out. But then I look again out the window and I see the snow and I was like, you know what? I got to suck this up, bro. I got to suck this up and I got to go to Hawaii, man. I got to get out of New York. So it was like kind of a, I don't know if it was a, a, a bonus, not a bonus, but it was their way of rewarding us, I guess, for, for working in like the winter in New York. So they were giving like every every worker uh, opportunity to go work in Hawaii for like two and a half weeks uh, doing the same thing, mapping. So they had the car out there. All you had to do was fly out there. There was already a car out there for you to map in. So I fly, I go back to Florida cause I told my boss, I said, look, if I'm going to Hawaii. I got to make sure I'm on point with the clothes. Cause I, I was in New York. All I had was winter clothes. So I was like, I got to get back to uh, Orlando and get all my like, you know, summer stuff for the tropical weather. So I go home, I fly back to Orlando where I was living with my mom at the time. And this is also the year I'm not drinking. So I didn't drink that whole year. So I go home and I, I pack and then I book my flight to Hawaii. Cause like I said, I used to have to book my own stuff. You know, we didn't have like a travel department that booked for you. So I booked my flight and the ticket was like 700 and something dollars round trip. So I book it. I'm supposed to go from Orlando to Houston which I believe was the George Bush Intercontinental Airport. Then I'm supposed to go to Hawaii. So it's like one stop. So I go to the airport. And when I get to the airport, they're like, oh, there, that flight got canceled because of the weather. We're redirecting you to Newark. And 
after Newark, you're going to fly straight to Hawaii. Now, mind you, when I booked the flight through Houston, I was happy because I was like, all right, at least I'm getting a little bit of a break in between. I'm getting, I forgot how long it is to fly to Houston. Maybe like two hours. No, that wasn't what it was. I think I was going to Houston. Then I was going somewhere else. I think it was like three stops. So I think I was stopping in San Fran. So it was going to be broken up into like two hours, uh, four hours or five hours and another five. It was going to be like broken up like that. So then they were like, no, the flight got canceled. So now you got to go to Newark. And then from Newark, you're going straight to Hawaii. And at this point, I'm like, what the heck? Because I don't like flying. So I guess the the from Newark to Hawaii is like a 12-hour flight. So I fly from Orlando to Newark. I get on the flight to Hawaii. Bro, I was so scared. You know, I'm, I, I already get nervous on the plane for two hours. So I thought I'm not going to make it, but. I was just trying to keep myself sane. I will say that these long flights, it's like a whole different plane you're on. I'm used to the the regular plane. Bro, this was like the jumbo plane where it was like two aisles on each side to your right and your left. And then a middle row of three seats, then two aisles on each side, then two more seats on each side. So a lot more walking room, uh, the more spacious leg room. Every seat had TVs. And then it was free movies. So I remember I watched like The Dark Knight and um, I watched some other TV shows and I saw some really cool stuff. So I it takes me 12 hours on the flight. I get to Hawaii. Of course, when I get there, my bags are lost. Like <laughs> the worst thing that can happen happens. My bags got left in Newark, I believe. And I think this happened when they switched my flight. Something got messed up. So my bags get left. So like the first two nights I'm there with like, my book bag with no change of clothes. And then at the airport, you know, I don't know if you already lost your bags or had your bags lost. They give you like the little courtesy bag that is going to hold you down. It's supposed to hold you down for like a day or two. So they give me that with like a toothbrush and toothpaste and lotion, um, deodorant. Was there deodorant? I don't even know if there's deodorant. I might have to buy my own deodorant. But it, they give you the little bag to hold you down. So like the first two days, bro, I'm just, I'm thugging it out there, man. It's rough. I'm waiting for my bag to come. But I am at a nice hotel. I'm at the Holiday Inn on Kawa Kawa. Anybody who's ever been to uh, Waikiki Beach, you know what I'm talking about. So, like, Waikiki Beach is, like, uh, like Hawaii's version of South Beach. But, like, a hundred times nicer. So, it has the strip, which is Kawa Kawa, kind of like an ocean or a Collins. Probably like Collins. That's the strip with everything on it. It has the restaurants. It has the shops. And I, when I talk about shops, bro, they have, like, all the stores that Nicki Minaj raps about, like the Chanel, the Fendi, the Gucci, like, all those stores. It was, like I said, it's not like Miami, man. It's a little more upscale. But I'm at this Holiday Inn, which was actually pretty nice. I had a Jimmy Buffett's below it. Uh, the girls at the front desk told me Bruno Mars used to come in and perform there. So I'm, I'm at the holiday and they upgrade my room. I'm on like a higher floor, which I didn't like either, but it was a nicer room. So I got the dope set up, man. The little balcony in there and stuff, like super dope. So my bag finally arrives two days later. So I'm good, bro. I'm good. I'm rolling. And for those of y'all listening to the story, this <laughs> I haven't even really got to the story. I'm just kind of setting the scene right now. So I'm working for two weeks in Hawaii, two and a half weeks. And I, I drive around the whole island. I'm mapping. I'm going really slow with the work, too. Like, I'm getting out. I'm taking pictures everywhere. And I actually end up going 
um, by accident driving into this this yard, and this lady comes out, and I'm thinking, oh boy, I'm about to get yelled at for being on her property. Uh, this black woman comes out, and then she's like, "What are you doing?" And I'm like, "Oh, I'm just mapping." And then she's like, "Oh, well, something is wrong with this street." Blah blah. blah. She's like telling me, and then she's like, "Do you know? Have you ever heard of Ron Artis?" And I'm like, "No, no, I haven't." She's like, "Oh, well, that was my late husband, and he was this musician." And he was, like, really famous for painting stuff around the city and this and that. And I ain't going to lie to you. When she's telling me the story, I'm kind of just, like, listening. But I'm kind of in my head, like, yeah, yeah, like, this lady's making all this up. Because she's like, yeah, he was this famous uh, artist and all this. And then she, like, invites me in. So I'm like, all right. I get out the car, go in. And then she starts introducing to me all, all her kids. And there are all these kids, like, teenagers. And she's like, this is... So and so, so and so, like they played, they they are in a Ron Artis family band, and I'm still kind of skeptical at this point. So then, the, she, and mind you, I'm at work, so I just get out. I'm still like on the clock or whatever. So I, I've been there for like I end up being in there for like an hour. I'm just like whatever, <laughs> YOLO. I'm in Hawaii, bro. You only live once. So I am in the house, and then she ends up telling the kids to all play music for me. So they get on this. There's like a stage in there. And I'm sitting down, and then they get on the stage, and they start playing, and they're really good. And at this point, I'm like, oh, this this might actually be legit. <laughs> so I sit there, and they do, like, a whole concert for me. It was pretty dope. Um, if you ever go on my Facebook, I got some pictures with them on there uh, from, I think it's, if you go to my album, this is in my 2014 album. So I end up leaving, and then she gives me, she's like, oh, take my number down. You know, if you ever need anything while you're in Hawaii, let me know. I know all the police and this. And like, she's like, I, you know, basically, I'll hold you down while you're here. Which I'm like, well, that's a very nice gesture. And I think she gives me music, too. Like, they give me the CDs and all that. So then I'm still, like, kind of skeptical. So I go back to the hotel that night. And I think I might have even passed one of the paintings that he had did. And then that's when I'm like, all right, this might be real. So when I get back to my hotel... I go on YouTube and I'm going to look it up. I'm going to look this dude up. So I look up uh, Ron Artis family band. You guys could look it up if you're on YouTube too. And to my surprise, bro, he's got videos when, um, with the, with the, with the family mad videos on there of like them performing. Some of them got like thousands and thousands, maybe like hundred thousand uh, views. And they're like really good. They're really talented. So I, I'm like, wow, that was uh, kind of a something I wasn't expecting, but was pretty dope. You know, I was kind of a pleasant surprise. So I was like, okay, this is going to be you know, a cool trip. Like I've met some cool people. So this is still not even part of what the real story is. I'm just kind of telling y'all about Hawaii. <laughs> and mind you, um, the water fountains there, bro. I got water from a water fountain in Hawaii and it tasted like, it tasted like smart water. It was like the best water I ever had from the water fountain. So if you ever go to Hawaii, make sure you get some water out the water fountain. But yeah, back to the story. So I'm staying at that Holiday Inn on Kawakawa. And every night I will like walk to get food somewhere around uh, Waikiki Beach. So I started finding spots I liked. Um, shout out to l and I was going there a lot. It's a Hawaiian barbecue spot. Super dope. There was like this little touristy spot across from my hotel that kind of had the same type of food as L&L. So when I didn't feel like driving to the L&L, I would go to the one across the street because that one, um, the L&L was in a Walmart. 
So I would have to go to Walmart to do it. And, yo, the prices in Walmart are super high in Hawaii. Just so you know, like, if you want orange juice or milk, it's like an extra dollar or two compared to what you would pay here. And the gas is super high. So every night I would walk to get food. And then I, I found this other spot. It was like a Vietnamese or something like that spot. So one night I'm going there to get my food. And I do the order. I think I go in there, I order. I wait for the food to be ready. So it takes like 10 minutes. So I just chill. And then I get the food. And as I'm leaving, um, this homeless dude or homeless looking guy walks up to me. And he walks up to me. And he's like, hey, Jared. And bro, <laughs> bro. I, I look at him. Cause I'm like, what the fuck is going on right now? So I stare at him, bro. I don't even know. I don't even know what to say. I'm just staring like, what did this really happen? So I'm staring at him. He's staring at me. And we literally stare at each other for what felt like a minute. Maybe it was like 30 seconds. And we just stare at each other and nothing said. And I'm waiting for him to say more. <laughs> he doesn't say anything else. And after a while, I was like, I'm getting the fuck out of here. <laughs> so I just start walking and I walk away, bro. I'm like, that might have been somebody I know. But if it is, they might want to stay with me. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm not doing it. So I just leave. And it was the craziest thing, bro. I swear to you, he said my name. He looked at me and he said, hey, Jared. And I look at him. And I thought he was going to say something like maybe it's somebody I knew from high school that just happens to be homeless in Hawaii. I didn't know who it was um, till this day. I've never found out who it was, but I promise you on everything. He said my name like I'm not making this up. I've told this story to many people. I'm sure they don't believe it, but I promise you this really happened. I was getting food. I'm walking back to the hotel. Uh, somebody who appeared to be homeless says my name, looks at me. We stare at each other for a good 30 seconds, and then we just kind of, well, he stayed there, actually. He stayed standing. I left because I was like, this is some creepy-ass shit. So I left. I kind of scoot around him, and then as I, you know, I, I might have started jogging once I got a little bit past him but just to make sure I, you know, created some separation. And then I got back to my hotel, and I just had to take a moment, man, where I was just like, what did, what just happened? And I promise you, that's, the, that's one of the weirdest things that's ever happened in my life. And I just wanted to make sure I got that story on tape because I, it's, it's such a cool story to tell now. But when it happened, it was so creepy. And I know people are still probably like, there's no way that happened. But trust me, it happened. All right. So that was the Hawaii story. Um, I feel like it's a better story when I tell it in person because I can do more mannerisms and I can move around a little bit and kind of explain it better with my hands. But whatever. Hopefully y'all got the gist of it. Um, I also want to talk about Red Velvet Oreos. If you know me, you know I love Red Velvet Oreos. This is not even a commercial. I know it sounds like I'm reading a commercial for them, but no, I'm not. They haven't uh, cut me a check. But hey, Oreo, cut me a check if, if you guys want to do business together. Shout out to Puma, too. Um, y'all know that's all I wear. So shout out to the unofficial sponsor of my podcast, Puma. Holla at me, Beyond the Glory. At Beyond the Glory on Instagram, if you guys want to talk, at J Law Radio on Twitter. Oreo, that goes for you too. Like I said, I'm not really doing commercials on here because 
there's a lot of people who who do commercials on podcasts, but it's for brands that they don't even use. So me, if I ever do a commercial or a, a read an advertisement, it's gonna be for something I use. So let me give you the list of stuff I, I I rock with real quick. So we got Oreo, we got um Puma, we got Wawa. Even though Wawa, y'all starting to disappoint me with the with the coffee, but I know it's because of the coronavirus. I can't pour my own coffee anymore. So y'all gotta get back to where I could pour my own coffee. Hopefully that happened today. I know the girl told me the soda fountain was coming back. So hopefully the coffee came back. Um, what else do I like? I like Wawa. I like Oh, Goodwill. But I know y'all ain't about to open the, the pocketbook. So that's probably <laughs> I'm probably dreaming on that one. But I love shopping at Goodwill. They have some really good deals too, man. Don't be bougie. Y'all all can go and find something you like there. Um oh. Orange juice. Eh, I love orange juice. Tropicana or Florida's. What is it? Florida's natural. The Florida one. It's over there in Polk County. I, I really like them. So if you guys want to holler, holler at me too. Uh, I think that's all I can think of for now. Oh, Chevy. I have a Chevy car. So you guys are on my list. And anybody else, if you think I rock with you, reach out. But like I said, I'm not going to rock with you. I'm not going to do a commercial for you if I don't use your product. What was I? Oh, Red Velvet Oreos. So I love Red Velvet Oreos. They're like the only Oreos I can eat. Um, and it's funny because the, the, the cream in there is cream cheese. Pause. It's cream cheese. But if you know anything about Oreos, Oreos are vegan. There is no dairy in Oreos. So it's not really cream cheese. So it's kind of hard for me to explain the taste, but it's, it's a really good taste. It's not like the regular cream. But it's different. It's different than the regular Oreo one. It's uh, It has slight cream cheese elements, but it's not all the way cream cheese, if that makes sense. If you've had it, you know what I'm talking about. So the red velvet Oreos are the best thing to happen to me. And I always buy them. It, I'm very, like, my routine is to sit on the couch and eat, like, a whole row of Oreos and watch TV and then I drink orange juice when I'm done. I don't drink it while, you know, I don't mix it together. But I love drinking orange juice after I eat red velvet Oreos. I know it's weird. I'm weird. Let's be weird together. So I do that. So I get like two, two packs of uh, red velvet Oreos whenever I see them. Now, back in December, they started running low. Like I couldn't find them at Walmart anymore. I couldn't find them anywhere. And I was starting to get worried. So I started going everywhere looking for them. And I found them. I finally found them at Winn-Dixie because I'm like, oh, Winn-Dixie will have my. I don't, have I told this story? If I haven't, if I have, whatever. This is a continuation. So I found them at Winn-Dixie. So I was like, all right, now I know where to go when they run out. So fast forward to now, um, which is May, but it was April last week. I went, I've been going to Walmart for like the last two weeks, maybe last three weeks, looking for these red velvet Oreos because I've run out. And I can't find them anymore. I've gone to Target. I've gone to Publix. I've gone to Winn-Dixie. I've gone to Bravo. I've gone to <laughs> Sedano's, bro. I go to any supermarket I can find, try to find these damn Oreos, and I cannot find them anywhere. So now I'm getting desperate. And I'm like, do I just want to get the regular Oreos? And I don't really like the regular ones like that. They're okay, but it's not like, I don't know if I want to buy them and eat a whole row. So last week when I'm in Walmart, I see these new Oreos they have, the Tierra Masu. Not Tierra Marie, Tierra Masu. So I see those, and I'm like thinking to myself, like, man, 
do I want to give these a try? I'm like, fuck it, man. I'm going to have to. I'm going to have to just give these a try. I don't even know what it's going to taste like. So I buy the tiramisu Oreos uh, re- reluctantly because I'm like, at this point, I don't know when Red Velvet's coming back. Oreo, if you guys are listening, I tweeted you last week. I'm trying to understand what your process is at the factories. I, don't, I know the meat factories are slowing down because of the coronavirus. Is the Oreo factory slowing down because of the coronavirus? Do y'all need me to fill out an application? If you do, let me know. I just need some room and board, you know, because y'all probably ain't in Florida, but I'll, I'll fly to you if y'all need me to help the, with the production because we got to get the red velvet Oreos back on the shelf. So I bought these tiramisu ones. I haven't even opened them yet. I'm like, like, you know, when you got something and you don't really want to eat it, so you kind of put it off and put it off until the end and then you're like, all right, fine, then we got to do it. So I'm probably going to eat the tiramisu ones tonight because I need dessert tonight. Like I have ice cream too, but I don't eat ice cream on certain days. Like I'm lactose. I believe I'm lactose, though. I eat ice cream on days, and I'll be home the next day. Um, so I'm going to do the tiramisu. I'll let y'all know how it tastes on the next episode. Uh, I'm not anticipating Red Velvet Oreos being back by then because at this pace they're going. And it's funny because when you go to the store, they have every single other Oreo there. They have the regular one. They have birthday cake. They have carrot cake. They have the peanut butter one. They have every single one there but Red Velvet. And I'm trying to figure out... Why does red velvet keep running out? Am I don't I must not be the only one eating it. So if y'all, if anybody's listening, y'all let me know. Do y'all eat red velvet Oreos too? Um, hit me on Twitter if you do, if you got my Twitter at JLaw Radio, if you're on Twitter. Hit me on the gram, wherever. Uh, Facebook, text me. But I just want to know, does anybody else eat red velvet Oreos? Because I'm trying to figure out why there's always a uh, shortage. Why cannot, why can't they keep up with the uh with the demand in Oreo. If you guys somehow hear this, I'm going I'm to I'm put a hashtag for you guys. So maybe you'll find it. But I need y'all to respond, man. I'm tired. I'm tired of having to, to eat other Oreos, man. I'm tired of having to try new things. I tried your carrot cake Oreo once, and it was nasty. I know people say it's great. It's too sugary. Way too sugary on the carrot cake. So y'all might want to take some of that out. This is just a constructive criticism, you know. Don't don't take it personal. So, other than that, I have another story. I think I want to tell. Uh, I think I want to tell my birthday story before I leave because if I put it off, I might forget to tell it at a later time. So, last year I had a big birthday party at my house. I called it J Fest. I had like mad people come over, like forty plus friends came through. And we had a great time. So after the party, we end up going to the uh, strip club in Coco. Uh, about 10 of us drive out there. So we go, we go to the strip club in Coco. Um, the first strip club is super empty, and we paid like 10, 7 or $10 to get in there. So we, we just had to take the L. So we're like, man, let's go somewhere else. So as we're walking out, the manager comes up to us, and he's like, hey, guys, what's going on? Uh, I'm Chicago Mike. Can I help you? Like, where are you going? And we're like, look, bro, like, we respect the hustle. Your script club's a little dead, so we're going to move to the next spot. We're going to go to either um, Cheaters or Lido's. So then he's like, oh, I got connections at both of them. You let me know which one you want to go to, and I can get you in for free. 
And we're like, all right, that's what we need to hear right now because we just gave you guys $7 each. And we went to a strip club with one stripper working. And when we walked in, she looked like she didn't even want to be there. So shout out to Chicago Mike. He was cool about it. He's like, here's my card. Let me know if y'all need any help. He, he calls um, the other one. I think it was Cheaters. He calls them and he's like, hey, I got a group coming through. Take care of them. So they're like, all right, whatever, come through. So as we're leaving, I get in my car and I go to make a left onto the A1A. Anyway, who's ever been to Cocoa Beach, uh, you know, the road, when you're driving, it splits through the downtown and it turns into one ways on each side. So you have a one way in one direction and one way in the other. Then there's roads, side streets in between it. So I'm coming up the side street and I make a left onto the A1A to go back towards the other strip club. As soon as I make this left, there's this car on my ass quick. And I'm like, man, what the hell is going on? Am I being followed? Like, I'm a little worried because I'm like, you know, it's at night. I'm not a violent person. So if something goes down, you know, we just going to have to trust what we got. Well, our, our resources that we have on us, which isn't anything. <laughs> our hands. So I'm like, what the heck is going on? Why is this car on my ass? So I switched the lane. I think I switched lanes. No, I didn't even switch lanes. I stayed because then finally I realized, oh, it's a police car. So I'm like, all right, you know, he's probably just trying to run my plates or see what's going on. I'm clean. So I'm like, play it cool. So I play it cool. I'm driving. I'm not doing the speed limit. I think I'm like five below the speed limit or right at the speed limit, but I'm not over. I'm following all the necessary rules. The sirens still come on. So then the sirens come on and we're like, damn. I'm getting pulled over. So I pull into the to the one of the parking lots of an apartment complex. And then um, I put my hands up. You know, when you're black, you already know what you do. You hands up where they can see him. Uh, turn the light on. So I got my hands up. He comes up. He's like, you know why I pulled you over? And I'm like, hell no. I don't know why you pulled me over. <laughs> I didn't say hell no, but I'm like, no, sir. I do not know why you pulled me over. He's like, oh, when you came out of the... When you came off that street, you you ran the stop sign, which I'm like, I don't think I did, but I don't know. I, maybe I did a rolling stop. He said I did the rolling stop. I don't think I did, but he said it, so whatever. Then he said when I went to make the left, this is the part where it gets tricky. He said when, you go to make, when I went to make the left, I made the left into the outer right lane instead of the left into the left lane. So when I try to explain it to people, they're like, what? So basically, it's a one-way street. A one-way street has two lanes, a left a lane on the left and a lane on the right. So if I'm making a left, I turned left, but I went all the way to the right one instead of into the left. So he said that I got a ticket. I was getting a uh, stop for that. And I was like, I didn't even know that was a law. And he's like, yeah, it's a law. So I have my hands on the, um, up where he could see him. He's like, uh, get your license and registration out. And then he's like, I'm like, it's in the glove compartment. He's like, all right, so it's fine. You can go in there and get it. So I reach in, I get it, blah, blah, blah. I give it to him. He goes back to his car and he's in the car for like 20 minutes and we're just all in our car talking and um, talking to my friends. And I'm like, one of them's like, do you think we're, you're getting a ticket? I'm like, I'm definitely getting a ticket. He's been in his car for like 20 minutes. So another crazy thing happens. He's in the car so long. I had my car in um, drive. I didn't even move it to park. So I'm finally like, all right, man, we're going to be here for a while. So let me put it in park. So when I put it in park, the car kind of jerks back. And then my other friend's like, what are you doing? You were getting a shot. And I'm like, oh, my bad, bro. I didn't know. Like, I didn't even think about it. Like, I didn't know it was going to do all that. But I just wanted to make ourselves comfortable. 
Luckily, we survived. He didn't do anything. He was still in his car. Maybe he didn't even notice, but it was scary. So he comes back finally, gives me my stuff back, and then he hands me the ticket. And I'm just like, fuck. And I'm looking at the ticket. First thing I look at when I see it is like, how much is it? So I'm looking, I'm looking, I'm like, how much is it? I can't see the price. And he points right at it. He's like, it's right there. Man, it's like 160, I think $169, $165, something like that. So he look, he points right at it. And I'm just like, like my heart sinks, bro. This is my birthday, not to, you know, to remind you. So I'm like, why is this all happening to me on my birthday? And the crazy thing is on the way to the strip club, we saw mad cop cars out pulling people over. So I was already like on, on edge and I was trying to follow the laws. So after that, my night's like kind of ruined, but they talked me into going to the strip club anyway, like to continue. So we end up still going to the one we were heading to. And then we get there with like 15 minutes left and they're trying to charge us to get in. They're like, oh, it's $5 a person to get in. And we're like, we ain't paying five nothing. Not even for a $5 foot long pause. We ain't paying five for anything. So we just, it's another like the Hawaii story where it's another stare down and we're just looking at each other. Like I'm looking at the cashier. They're looking at me. I'm like, we ain't paying. I just got a $160 ticket. I'm not paying no more money. So finally they are like, all right, just go. So they let us in. So we get in. Uh, we sit down. One of my friends comes up to me, an unnamed friend, because like I said, we're at a strip club, so I probably can't say names for everybody except myself. So an unnamed friend comes up and hands me $20. And he's like, here, this is for you to um, go, you know, make it rain or whatever. Give it to the strippers. And I look at him and I'm like, bro, I ain't even going to lie to you. I just got a $169 ticket. I got to keep this for myself. <laughs> so I put the money in my pocket. I'm like, hey, every every cent counts. Every dollar counts. I need it all. So I, I keep the money. And then I just sit down because I'm so depressed at this point. He comes back with, and he's like, all right, well, it's your birthday. I'm going to try to, you know, make it make this a good night for you. What? Who do you want to dance with? So I'm looking around and it's it's Cocoa Beach. You know, I don't know if you guys have been there. Not a lot of us over there. Not a lot of, you know, women that I would normally probably be trying to talk to. Not a lot of thickness. Not uh, shapes, you know, none of that. So I'm like, bro, I don't want none of these girls. So he comes back with like a white girl, skinny white girl. And he's like, here. And he's just, and she's like, oh, it's, it's your birthday. So she like grabs my hand, you know, leads me to the little back room. And she's like, oh, we're going to do, we're going to have a good time. And he gives me another, I think he gave me another 10 or, I think he gave me another 20 to pay her and tip her. So I'm like, all right, whatever, free. So I go to the back with her. And as soon as we get in there, I see this fine ass black stripper just um, sitting next to me. But she was dancing with somebody else. I'm just like, damn, why didn't get her? I wanted her. (laughs) That's all I could think of. But anyways. The girl, my stripper, is like, all right, the next song that comes up, we're going to dance. So then when the next song, when, the, when that, the current song stops, the lights come on, and then the DJ is like, all right, that was the last song of the night. <laughs> so I'm like, can this night get any worse? And then the girl's like, she's trying to think of something because she knows she don't want to lose that 20. So she's like, wait, wait, wait. I can play music on my phone. 
And I'm just looking at her like, what? We ain't got it. Ain't got to be this serious. She goes, yeah, yeah. What do you want to hear? I play at this point. I don't care. I'm like, girl, whatever, whatever you want to play. So she she go looks up on her phone, and I, she, I don't even know what the song was. She gets a song, and she starts playing it off the speaker on her phone, and then she starts giving me the lap dance, and I'm dance. I'm sitting there, and you know me, I'm I'm pretty much a, a, a gentleman. So I'm not even trying to touch. I, I, I don't know the, the strip club etiquette, so I don't really touch. I just kind of keep my hands to myself. And she's like, uh, you can touch me, you know? Like, she kind of takes my hands, and I think she starts putting them on her breast and stuff. And I'm just like, okay, this is what the move is. I ain't going to lie. I think she motorboated me, too. I think she gave me the motorboat, which now with all this stuff going on probably is over with at the strip clubs. But she gave me the motorboat. And it was pretty cool. But I still would have preferred the other stripper. <laughs> and then after that, um, we go to leave. And I tell my friend, thank you. And then I'm like, hey, why didn't you get me the black girl? Like, that's freaking shaped like a Coke bottle. And he's like, uh, there's a reason she was already in there. And I'm like, fair enough. She was already in there, <laughs> which means she was highly requested. So we go in or we leave. We go back to my house. That's pretty much the end of the night. Um. Fast forward to about a month, no, a few weeks later, because I was, I was fuming that night, still over the ticket. So I'm in my room trying to go to bed, and all I can think about is that damn ticket. And I'm like, what should I do? So I'm Googling lawyers and how you can fight it, like if you hire a lawyer, how much it will cost. And I'm seeing prices, and, I, and it looks like it's like 100 just to talk. Like I think it's free to talk, but for them to really give you advice, it's like $100. And then... I'm like, man, I'm not doing this. So at this point, I'm like, I'm probably just going to pay this ticket and just take the L. But the one thing that was bothering me was it was going to be points on my license. So I'm like, I don't want points on my license. That was the one thing. I don't care about paying tickets. Like, I've paid tickets before where I didn't have the points because I was able to work out something. Where I used to have lawyer insurance, too, back when um, I had a, a job and when I had good benefits. I paid, like, $20 a month or $10 a month for lawyer insurance, and you could call um, them whenever you got a ticket, and they would give you a lawyer. It was really cool. So I'm thinking, I'm like, bro, I don't want to pay for the lawyer. So then I finally Google, like, my ticket and all this stuff, and I'm seeing things, and I, I stumble upon something where they were like, why don't you, uh, you can always go to the law, the law library and look up, you know, the ticket and see, you know, if you want to take it to court or not. So at that point, I'm like, I'm about to look it up. Like, I'm going to go to the law library. So I Google where the law libraries are. And there's one freaking in Vieira, which is the same county as where uh, Cocoa Beach is. So I go there one day, and then I find out that's actually the place that I would have to go if I have the, the court date. So I go to the law library, and I look up the – actually, no, I go to the librarian, which they were really nice in there. You show them your ticket and they like find the exact book for you and tell you the page you need to look at. So she kind of helped me in that regard, getting me on the right track. And I read the law for where I got my ticket. And it's such a vague law, man. It's like when you make a left onto a, a street, you can make a left into a lane that's lawfully available. So I'm like, what the heck does lawfully available mean? So I'm trying to figure it out. And then finally... I'm looking around the book like I'm reading different chapters and there's another chapter in there that says or another number that says 
if you make a turn onto a left hand turn onto the street and there's no traffic, uh, it's pretty much you can go into whatever lane you want. Like it's legal as long as you're not obstructing the traffic. So once I see that, I'm like, I got this. I'm like, I got to go to court. So I research a little bit more. You know, I'm just writing down notes. I'm making sure I cover all my bases. But at this point, I'm feeling confident. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to take it to court. So I uh, send the, the thing back in and say, I want to go to court. They give me a, uh, they're pretty quick with the response. They're like, all right, your court date is in August, which I'm like, perfect. Because I wasn't working at that time. So I'm like, I have all the free time in the world. You can give me whatever day you want. I'll be there. So I end up going to court. Um, the day I go, I'm like, well, maybe he won't show up. Maybe I'll just have an easy day. But then I remember the guy. He was such an asshole when he gave me the ticket. I'm like, he's one of those guys that's definitely going to show up to court. So I go to court, and I'm, I'm waiting because you got to wait outside the, the, the room before you go in. So we're all gathered, me and, like, some other people who have uh, cases that day. And I don't see my cop. So at first, I'm like, all right, I'm good. It's going to be an easy day at the office. But then in the back of my head, I'm like, kind of like, I hope he shows up because I want to see how I fare. Like, I'm a competitive dude, and I feel like I'm right in this case. So I'm like, I want to I want to know if this is going to work. So then sure enough, with like three minutes before we're supposed to go in there, he comes in. He comes walking up, and he has another cop with him who I guess had who was there for an, uh, his own hearing. And then that guy had a lawyer with him. So it's three of them, and they're all giggling and laughing, and I'm just looking like, all right, game on, buddy. Game on. I'm ready for this, man. I'm ready. So I start getting into that Mamba mentality. Shout out to Kobe, man. I'm like that killer instinct. I'm like, I got to go in there. And I'm not even feeling good that day. I'm like under the weather. So we go in. It's like five people, I think, who had cases that day. And then the judge comes in the room, uh, older lady, older white lady. And she was really nice. I got to say, she was like one of the nicest judges I've seen and I don't, you know, I haven't seen a lot of judges. I always watch it on TV, but she's just had a very motherly vibe to her. So she came in and I was the first one to go. Uh, my case was first. So we go up there and then we, you know, you, you do the, I'm going to tell the truth and nothing but the truth and all that. And you sit down and she says, he goes first and then I go. So he gets up and then he tells his side of what happened. And he, of course he throws in, oh, he ran a stop sign first. And in my head, I'm like, we ain't even here for that bullshit. <laughs> so, and then he gets to the point, okay, then he made the left into the outer lane, blah, blah, blah. And then, um, no, he says he made the left into the left lane, then got over to the right lane quickly. And then the judge, the judge is like mad cool. Like she was like freaking my prosecutor, my defense attorney. And she's just like, so what, what did he do wrong? <laughs> and he's like, oh, I mean, he got right into the right lane. And then she's like, oh, okay. But she's still looking at him like, you brought me here for this? So at this point, oh, and then the first thing she asked him, I forgot this. The first thing she asked him before he even said it, or after he said that, she said, how did the road look? He said it was empty. So as soon as he said that, I was like, oh, it's over. Like, I was like, do I even get, like, I felt like one of them players on the bench. Do I even got to take the warm-ups off? Like, this is going to be easy. Because I had so many different ways I could, do this but i was like oh this is gonna be light like i was gonna try to show out you know maybe talk a little junk not talk junk but try to do it in a you know a trolling sarcasm way but at this point i'm like i kind of got a 20 point lead i ain't gonna blow the lead so when it was my turn to go up i was like um 
she no, she asked me what happened. I tell her my side. Then I said, then that's when I brought out the laws. And I was like, I want to read something for to you real quick. So I read the law and it was, you know, basically if if there's no car on the road, you can turn into whatever lane. And then I threw this part out. And I was like, well, as he mentioned earlier, the road was empty. So I did not obstruct any traffic. <laughs> and then when I said that, the judge, she's kind of looked like upset. Not upset at me, but she kind of looked like she wanted to pull that out. Like she wanted to be the one to get that law and say it. And she was like, oh, I was getting to that. I was like, oh, it's all right. I got you, man. I got you. I did my research. So after that, she was like, yo, you know, he's right. That's the law. He didn't obstruct traffic. I have to find him not guilty. So then, you know, she hits the gavel to boom. And then I'm like, yes, you know, I go out. I don't even look at him on the way out. I just smile on my way out. And I'm just ecstatic, bro, because not only did I save myself $160, 69 whatever, I also saved myself getting four points on my uh, on my record. So everything got thrown out, man. And I stressed over that night of my birthday, and I just thought back on it. And I'm like, man, all that stress for nothing because it ended up working, man. It ended up working in my favor. And I guess the moral of the story is if you ever get pulled over by the cops, um, don't be afraid to go to court, but make sure you go to court prepared. Don't go to court ex- just hoping he won't show up because in Florida, if they don't show up, uh, it gets thrown out. So don't don't go to court just hoping. Don't go on a 50-50 because a lot of these cops, what I learned is a lot of them get paid to go to court. So for them, it's a regular day. It's not like they're taking time out of a busy schedule or spending time with their kids. No, they're getting paid to go to court. So a lot of times they're going to show up. So make sure you go to like your law library or you go and Google the laws and look it up, man. And just, you know, a lot of times there's loopholes in this stuff that they give you tickets for. And if you find one, man, go in there with your with confidence and just know that you can win. And I think going forward, I know now if I ever get another ticket, I have the confidence that, hey, I can take this to court and I know how to prepare now. And that's that's kind of the what I want to leave you guys with the gems I wanted to bestow upon you guys. Um, like I said, I was going to give you a complete game today. I gave y'all close to an hour and 45. Once I play this long-ass song on the way out, it's going to be over an hour and 45 minutes. And you know what? I didn't even give y'all a bomb. So I'm going to give you a bomb for my story real quick. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. I don't know if I had enough jokes in here for you or not, but uh, like I said, it's art. It's art. We'll look back on this years from now. And... I'm sorry I took so long to give you a, a new one, even though it was less than two weeks. But like I said, I'm trying to be consistent. So trying to give you guys a new episode every Sunday. I will be back next Sunday. Uh, probably bring a guest on again. I know Mark's been asking to come on. My boy Mark. So I'll try to get Mark on for the next episode because I want to talk to him about how this is, life has been during the whole uh, quarantining and everything. And before I leave you guys... I just want to say happy Cinco de Mayo. I know we're not going to be out at bars celebrating it, but you can still have a drink at home. Um, all you build a wall people, sit your asses down tomorrow. Listening for you because y'all haters. So y'all don't get to enjoy Cinco de Mayo. And your boy, fuck Trump. That's for my woldies. He don't get to enjoy it either. So to everybody who who is um, down for the cause, happy Cinco de Mayo. <laughs>
Yeah. I wish I had more appropriate music to play, but I don't. I don't know. Maybe y'all can uh, recommend something to me next time. But, you know, I'm going to leave you with some Joe Budden. This is one of my favorite songs. Oh, and I forgot to mention, Rest in Peace, Mac Miller. Uh, when I opened up that song with him and uh, Rhapsody, that's one of my favorite Mac Miller verses off uh, that uh, song, Generation. Make sure you check out that whole song because Rhapsody's verse is dope on there too. But I'm going to leave y'all with Joe Budden. Um, this is called Whatever It Takes. And this is my favorite, one of my favorite songs. This is like, to me, a top 10 song of all time. Not just Joe Budden, but anybody. So it's keeping it real with Jerry Lawrence. And we'll be back next week. Find a way. Find a way. Find a way. I'm going to do whatever it takes. You know, find a way. To what? Find a way. What? Find a way. I'm going to do whatever it takes. Find a way. Find a way. Find a way. Whatever it takes. Find a way. Find a way. Find a way. I'm dealing with some shit, homie. It's in the back of my head and it's some shit, homie. But I just rap it instead. See, I got Wolverine bones in me, but the whole world's throwing stones at me like they all got a bone with me. Got a child's mother, and I hate her to death, but that's my child's mother. So that's my mate to the death. It's wild how I love her for putting little me here. And me and Hawk will be forever, she gon' still be there. Then it's some other niggas. I just the character wrong, but they some other niggas. Now let's get back to the song. I got a drug problem that I ain't tending to because I got a nerve problem. And my solution is to stuff problems. But if something goes wrong with that, then it's back to PCP and so long with rap. See, I'm depressed lately, but nobody understands that I'm depressed lately. I'm sort of feeling repressed lately. But y'all been hearing and seeing me less lately. Like, has anyone noticed the regress lately? Look deep, nigga, don't I seem stressed lately? Seem disturbed, a lot of regrets lately. Got a company that I'm signed to, but they ain't in my company. When all I need is some company When I start feeling like everybody's done with me I'm trying to see what everybody want with me Then the mistress, yeah Yeah, the girl from 10 minutes is hard Now I'm needing 10 minutes from heart I can't get into it But I want y'all to know that I'll get into it But I'll save that for the growth And it's rap beef But I'm so secure with me It's only rap beef I don't need security Wanna get at me Wanna go to war with me That's just one phone call for me Check the shit I got off Whole hood that don't appreciate when it's not the whole hood that depreciates me. What you gonna tell me when it's the streets that made me? And I won't let the belly of the beast degrade me. And then it's rap critics, they say all I make is dance music. But the almost anything you can dance, stupid, they ain't like the single. So they ain't cop the album, wouldn't give a chance to it. Not a second glance to it. They say he whines too much, he's too bitter. They call it complaining, I call it explaining. How normal niggas could get caught up in the game and lose their mind and y'all call it entertainment. Some shit with me, the dudes been through that. But I'm gambling a lot and I ain't used to do that. Rap ain't paying the bills, it's more money, more problems. Or it's no money, more problems. All enormous when you play at these stations. That's how it feel to have a warrant on a famous face. Then the album push back, cause they say he need a single at the moment. But what he need is a single moment. Then I'm involved in the he say, she say That's in my mind on replay each day Then it's the bullshit that she say he's gay Cause she wouldn't like to think that he ain't like her Just cause she was 
throwing it at me and I ain't touch her She'll say anything, stop him, I ain't wanna fuck her I don't feel good, so I don't wanna go to a club Don't wanna go to a lounge, just wanna lounge In the same sweats that I had on for days Same tee that I had on for a week What I got on, it speaks What I got on, it reeks No shape up, chillin' Cause that's just how I'm feelin' And one day at a time, it's God willing. I'm trying to see straight, but the fall keeps building. Most start racing, the bulls starting to hate me. But I gotta be a king, cause this wolf's trying to play me. Hoodie when it's hot, like it's freezing winter. Red star eating sleep for dinner. And it's hard trying to keep this in ya. So I write it all down, so one day maybe when life is all sweet, I remember. Then it's probation. I know we all go through it, we call it probation. But it's no pro to it. Yeah, my soul's aching. Only a few peers know. Funny thing about the case is it's a few years old Had some shit going on with my old It felt good but it's bad So I'm sitting here like what the bitch had Now rap is real, look scrappy, it's true Going what's poppin', do we look happy to you? Now if it goes to the wire, got the soul of a fighter Bruised up and sloppy, or damaged like Ali Up late talking to the fans on the website That's the only thing that send your man off the bed right Fuck the world, fuck my moms and my girl Maybe not moms, just let me remain calm This too won't last, this too shall pass At least that's what I say, y'all That's what I pray for And I'm the only thing that's standing in my way, y'all But I gotta be with me, it's no escape, y'all I guess depression just stepped in and took over shit like it's known to do Guess it said, hey Joe, I'm going home with you Turn your phone off, I need to be alone with you I need to be in the zone with you Cause I'm the only thing you prone to, nickel Look, I own you, nickel Been with you since then, but you starting to confuse me Cause it's been so long, you still trying to lose me Like that, you show me such cruelty When everybody turns they back on you, Joe, it's you and me Yo, you don't want me to see you right Then why you always come get me? How we reunite? Tongue, I know you feel for me deep in your heart Doctors, meetings, pills couldn't keep us apart But now you got a deal and you wanna get rid of me With roommates, I'm in your head, Joe, you live with me So I'm alright for the fans, now I write to my man And hope that you'll just leave and understand like like, please leave the kid in peace Let me smoke this one cig in peace Just leave for a second, man It's been too long and I can't troop it As long as you around, I can't make that dance music Whatever it takes To find a way To find a way To find a way Whatever it takes To find a way